Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. Have you ever quit on something that you knew that was good for you? I, I heard a couple of laughs. I think, I think it's, uh, that's a yes. Um, I won't tell you where because I don't want to spoil it for you. But there's a particular place I had a bad food experience. Now, some of you guys may have a sweet tooth. I have sweet teeth, okay? I just, I, I love, I love dessert. And this one place I went to, and just little facts about me, I, I, have, I have a weak stomach. And so as a kid, I couldn't even eat bananas because of the texture. Just the mushiness, I just got so grossed out. You know, I'm a wimp, I don't care, whatever, okay? I can admit that, I'm strong. <laughs> um, but I went to this one ice cream spot, got my usual order right, I'm excited, I'm ready, I'm with Lauren, my wife, and we're having like an ice cream date night, the best kind type of date night. And I'm about to take a bite, and, and I, I see a little hair in the ice cream. And I'm like, don't go there. You know, you know, like your stomach's going, it's like, don't go there, fight it, be strong, right? And I feel a turn, I'm like, don't turn, don't, don't go there. I love this place, and I don't want to let go of it. So I'm like, I feel like I got my stomach under control, by the grace of God. Take a couple more bites. Oh, yeah, come on. Don't act like you've never done that before. And so I'm, I'm, I'm going back in, and then <laughs> I look, and I'm like, oh, gosh. It wasn't just a hair. But it was a thread of hairs together. And I'm like, oh, Lord, Jesus. There's no point of return out for that. So I didn't go back to that place for a year. After several counseling sessions and therapy, I was okay. And I still go back. It's great. I'm not going to tell you where, though, because I love this place. And you probably love it, too. But I, I, I let go of it. I quit because I thought it was bad for me. And it was. But how many of you know, I didn't quit on ice cream. Come on. Ice cream still, I had a bad experience. But isn't it, I'm just going to quit on ice cream. Some of us, hey, don't raise your hand. But some of us have gone a bad haircut before, right? And, and a lot of times I think my haircut's, you know, decent. But then you go home and then your spouse has a different opinion of it, right? Like, oh, they kind of missed this. Okay, all right, all right, you're right. Just because you got a bad haircut doesn't mean you just stop getting haircuts, right? No. You find, a different, you find a different barber, you find a different hairdresser, whatever it is, right? You go somewhere else. And what I'm afraid of, and maybe you felt this way too, that there's so many things happen in our lives where we have to do this, we have to do that, that I'm afraid that we've let go of something so valuable, not just for us, but was so valuable to God that we're missing out on one of the most important things in our life, which is relationships. And relationships, I don't know about you, but it's funny because I thought in like in middle school, it was so hard to have friends. You know, it's like I'm not the best looking, I'm not the most athletic, I'm not the most talkative. How am I going to have friends? But it doesn't it just seem like it's a lot harder to make friends now as adults than it was back then? We're just, we're just so, we're so busy and there's so many things that you know, we have to do. And it's just like, how do I, how do I make time for, for relationships, for friendships? And I think one of the things that gets in the way of, fr of, of friendships is this, is our pace of life. And, I, and, and listen, I'm, I'm so guilty of this. Like, I'm preparing this. I'm just like, God, I need to repent. So I, I'd write, I'd repent, I'd write, then I'd repent, right? Our pace of life is so fast. It's not a good or bad thing. It just is. And when our pace of life is crazy, we will unintentionally go to the urgent and neglect the important. 
the urgent are the things that we, we, we have to do. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. But the important things are the things that no one's going to ask you about, but it's going to add the most value to your life and other people. Only you can steward your walk with God. Nobody else can. Only you can steward your walk with your spouse, with your family, with your friendships. Only you can do that. But when we're caught in the urgent, the important just gets, it's, it's gone. And so if we're not careful, that if we're not intentional about relationships, we're going to be accidentally isolated. So we have to be intentional about relationships. So one pace of life, also the pressures of comparison. You know, when you get really close with people, insecurities can just rise up. I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not the perfect dad, I'm not the perfect mom, I'm not the perfect this, right? I know for me as a pastor, I can go to pastor's gatherings, I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus. I'm not that speaker. I'm not that communicator. And so none of us on the platform are exempt because we're human beings. So when we get really close with people, the insecurities can just rise up. And I'm convinced, and you probably have heard this too, that we live in the most connected generation but we also live in the most isolated generation as well. Just because we're connected on the media doesn't mean that we're actually living life together. You ask somebody, hey, how many friends do you have? Are you counting Facebook? About a thousand, you know. I only know 200 of them. And the people that I see in real life, sometimes I don't even go and say hi to them at all. Has that ever happened to you before you're friends with someone with Facebook? You see them in real life, ah, I don't know if I really want to talk to you. I'll, do, I'll, I'll like your status. I don't really feel like talking to you in person right now. We have the opportunity, not the opportunity, but we actually have the option of where, man, we can be around so many people but not do life with anybody. And so the pressures of comparison can be so real. And can I say that if you really want to connect with people, be yourself. Be yourself. People don't want your trophies. They want your scars. And so it's like, you can show how I'm, I'm so awesome. Oh, cool. I guess I'm alone. You're not alone. We're just too proud to really show our scars. And isn't it interesting when Thomas wanted to really know if Jesus was, re- like, was really resurrected from the dead? Jesus was like, hey, let me show you how powerful I am. He's like, Thomas, touch my wounds. Touch my scars. He would show him how real and how authentic he was. And so... The pressures of comparison, but also, I think probably the most of this for all of us, the pain of our past. If you have not been hurt in a relationship, you're probably not real. Like, you're not even human, okay? Like, you're not here. You're a, a figment of, your, of imagination, okay? We've all been hurt in relationships. And unfortunately, some relationships have caused us to leave, leave a church to leave families, to leave some of the best people because of the pain that we have in relationships. Events don't hurt us. People hurt us. And so the event that, we, that needs to get healed isn't really the event, but it's the people in the event that need to get healed. And how many of you know that if you've been hurt in a relationship, God wants to heal you in a relationship? It's through relationship that God wants to bring that healing. And so the reason why this is so important is because Jesus gave us two commandments, okay? The first one is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God, first one. But number two, second, is love people. 
love people. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And you go through the New Testament, and you see statements like, forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. Love one another as Christ has loved you. And so you see this picture of where Jesus came to earth, died. What, why? To restore a relationship. A relationship, one with him, but also with one another. So here's the question I've been asking myself and I want to ask you this morning. With all these one other statements, forgive one another, love one another, spur one another on. How do we do that if we're just in relationship with God but not with people? Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, like, it's, you know, it's just going to be God and me. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to do my God thing. I don't have time for anybody else but just me and God. How are you going to live out those commandments? You can't. And so if you're writing notes, jot this down, is that you can't have a thriving faith without meaningful relationships. You can't separate those two. And John puts it really well and in our faces. In 1 John where he talks about, if you say you love God but hate your brother, you're a liar. You're a liar. Saying that it's impossible for you to say you fully love God, but yet I just, I, I just can't be in community. I just hate this person. God's not saying, he's not insensitive to our hurts. He just doesn't want us to stay there. And so I, I want to spur us, I want to encourage us today that God has a plan for our lives, but it doesn't just involve him, it involves people. Meaningful, Christ-centered relationships. So what I want to take us through is briefly the story of Solomon. Now, Solomon, he did one of the most crazy inventive experiments of all time. And this is what he did. He's like, I'm going to see if I can accumulate the most money, most relationships, most anything you could think of, and I'm going to see if it satisfies me. And here's the conclusion that he came to, and you may have came to the same conclusion. He said this, everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. Have you ever woken up one morning and just said, Everything's meaningless. What's the point, right? Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> here's, here's, here's the message, guys. Let's pray. No, there, there's more than that, but he's coming to the same conclusion. It's like, I have done everything. I have every achievement. I have every goal. I have everything that the human eye could even desire, yet it's meaningless. And this is what verse 8 says right after. This is what he concludes. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. So what Solomon is saying is that the external eye can't even fathom what God has for us on the inside. And I don't have the time, but I'm just going to give it to you for free right now. You go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 where it says that God has placed eternity in every human heart. What does that mean? is that nothing on this temporary planet system can satisfy what God has put inside your heart. So if you come in today, it's like, I'm so broken, I'm so hurting. Or maybe you're the opposite. I have so much. My family is together. I have an amazing job. I don't have to worry about anything. But yet there's just this deep sense of emptiness inside of me. You know what that's pointing to? 
It's pointing to someone who knows you before you were born. It's pointing to the one who's given you a purpose before you were born. It's the God who's put his spirit inside of you that is calling you back to him. So Solomon has given us a little hack, probably the best hack of life, which is if everything you see doesn't satisfy you, it's pointing to something deeper, and it's the love of God. And so what I want to tackle is one of his experiments of when life doesn't work out. So he says this. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. You're going to see a theme in this conversation today. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, to his endless work. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. Keep going. For whom am I toiling, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This, too, is meaningless. A miserable business. So you get this picture of this man who's working and working and working and working. And he looks around. He's like, you know what? I'm not working. I've got to work more and more and more. And as I was looking, he's like, I need more. Well, I have a lot of stuff, but I need more stuff. But the depressing part comes when he looks around. He's like, I don't got kids. I don't have relationships. I don't have anybody around me. Why am I working so hard? Why, why am I beating myself to the ground? And literally, I have stuff to show for it, but I don't have anything meaningful to show for it. And, and, and you have to understand, like, the whole concept of, of what Psalm is trying to say. You know, before, Psalm has, you know, God wants us to be satisfied in our work. Not to be truly, like, completely satisfied and like, that's the source. But God's given us work to enjoy. That's how we can worship God, by working well. So what Solomon isn't saying, hey, quit your job. That's meaningless because you're going to have, you know, a lot of expenses if you do that, okay? But what he is saying is not to not work hard, but why is the, what's the motivation underneath it? What is the purpose behind you driving and driving and driving? And maybe it's not work, but it's something else. That's become an idol. You're driving, you're driving. And you're like Solomon. We wake up one day, wait, why am I here again? Why am I working so hard? And Solomon is getting us in is a very, it's subtle, but it's so powerful. That if we want to have meaningful relationships, the biggest barrier to relationships is me, is you. Is that if you want to have meaningful relationships, you can't have a me-centered life. I'll say that again. If you want to have a meaningful relationships, you can't have a me-centered life. And it's so subtle because we get so busy and we get so consumed and there's so many things that go on. But if we're not careful, everything about our schedule, it's about me. It's about you. And then we just wake up one day, wait, what do I have to show for this? Like, what, like where am I going? Like, what is God trying to do in all this? And so I think a, a good way, a great way of thinking about this is in the Garden of Eden. And I was meditating on this week, and I've read this story so many times, but God was highlighting this new to me. Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, Adam's there, Eve's there, then the serpent's there, which is the enemy, the devil. And the enemy is trying to tempt Eve. So he goes to Eve, Eve, you should eat this fruit. And he's like, hey, God told me the day before not to eat that fruit. No, 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 you don't understand, Eve. You got to eat this fruit because if you eat this fruit, 
man, you're going to know so many things. And God doesn't want you to eat that fruit because, man, he, he knows that you're going to become just like him, and he doesn't want that. And that's, a, that's a straight lie from the devil. <laughs> God's never been afraid of anything before, so he just knew right then and there. But here's the crazy part. It's right when the serpent said that. The scripture says that Eve's eyes, the fruit became appealing. So before it wasn't appealing, but then it came appealing. She ate the fruit and she sinned against God. And here's the crazy part is that what real sin is, sin is a violation of relationship. And so what the devil was trying to do, he was like, oh, let's just have Eve eat a fruit. It's going to ruin her life. Eve, what the devil was trying to do was strategically get her out of relationship with God, but also with people, which was Adam at that time. So, so she, she eats that fruit. It's just like, wait, what do I, what am I doing? Like, oh, like, oh gosh, what do I do now? That's when shame came into the world. That's when fear came in the world. That's when insecurity came into the world. And the scripture says that God came in at the, as, in the cool of the day. Like, Adam, where you at? What do you mean where I'm at? I'm right here. <laughs> and it says that they um, sewed on fig leaves on one another. And the presence of God was coming, yet they felt so scared and shameful that they had to protect themselves. And my friends, that's called isolation. And, and, and we say to ourselves, I'm just, I just don't, I just do life on my own. That's just kind of who I am. I'm kind of isolated. That's not a personality type. That's from sin. The brokenness, and, and, and I get it. Like, as an introvert, I'm like, I don't need people. Well, I just need one person, right? No, we all need people, right? Hey, you introverts out there, aren't you grateful for those extroverts? Oh, my gosh, I'm so grateful for them. I'd be stuck in a corner my whole life if it wasn't for my extrovert friends. And so... We can't blame our personality or even our environment for not being in relation with people. If you're taking notes, jot this down. The enemy will strategically get you out of relationship. Because the devil knew that if, if Adam and Eve stayed in a relationship with God, they had everything they needed. And not just fruit, but all the purpose, all the provision, all the care, all the love, everything they ever even dreamed or desired was in a relationship with God. But the enemy will strategically get us out of relationship. You know those seasons where it's like, I want to go to church, but I don't want to go to church. It's been like six months. Like, oh, I need to go back to church. And you think it's just because you're too tired, you're exhausted, or, man, my job's so crazy. I really think it, it is an attack from the pit of hell to strategically take you out of relationships that can move you closer to God. Now, don't get me wrong. There's seasons where, man, we need to take a break. Or, man, like, God, God's doing something different. Inside of, but most of the time, we isolate ourselves because the enemy is strategically getting us out of relationship. So we've got to be so, and, and this is why we're a church of engagement. We just don't want you to attend. We want you to be engaged. If you get into a group, you have people caring for you. You get on a team, you're serving with people with the same purpose. This is God's way of keeping us connected. And so the enemy will strategically try to get your relationship. So this is Solomon's advice. You're alone. You're on the proverbial treadmill. I just can't get off of it. I just can't get off of it. Here's his advice. Two are better than one. Come on, somebody. Because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, 
one can help the other up. But pity anyone. I'm sorry. When I read pity anyone, does anyone else hear Mr. T in the room? Am I the only sinner in this? Okay, I guess I am. All right. Man. Pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. It's not a matter of if you're going to fall. It's a matter of when you're going to fall. And we need people in our lives to really to pick us up. You know, I got saved uh, at my youth group at 14 years old, and it was an amazing experience. And my youth group was huge. It was like 200 people, right, just students. And it was really easy for someone like me to get lost. And it wasn't the youth problems, problem. it was my fault because I didn't make myself known in that group. And so I got saved at 14, and I mean, I just tried so hard for like two years. I'm read my Bible, I'm going to pray, I'm read my Bible, I'm going to pray. But I didn't have people in my life to really hold me up, to help me to mature. And after those two years of passion, of being zealous, I just fell off. I just stopped going. It wasn't like I didn't love God. I just didn't know how to walk this out. And so long story short, I came back my first year um, in college, and it was so crazy because I, I, I'd been gone for a couple years, and, and I walked into the foyer of the church, and I just felt so judged going in there. But, but you know what? Nobody was judging me because they didn't even know I was, I was gone. I was judging myself because I knew, you know what I'm talking about? Everyone's judging me. No, it's your conscience. God's talking to you. And so I just, I, I felt it, but I knew it was me. And out of nowhere, one of my old youth leaders, Pastor Mike, came up and said, what's up, Chris? How you doing, man? Man, I said, it's been like yesterday. I'm like, yesterday? It's been two years. And how do you know my name still? I was so impressed slash creeped out that he still remembered me. So we were talking and talking, right? And, and, and there was a part in me, there was parts of my heart that I, I, I wanted to talk to him about, but I just like, I don't know, I don't know. See, one of the biggest reasons why I fell off of going to church, because I had sin in my life. I just didn't know what to deal with. I had sexual sin in my life. I just didn't know how, how to work through. And so I knew as a man of God, I shouldn't live this way, but I felt so guilty and condemned. I didn't, I fell, but I didn't have anyone to pick me up. So I was just down and out. And so Mike said, hey, you know, so I started going back to church every single week. And, you know, Pastor Mike said, hey, Chris, you know, let's get some coffee. Let's hang out. And I'm like, okay. But I always said no, because I knew if he got me one-on-one, -on -one, he started asking me some great questions. And I'm like, I, ain't, I don't, that, that, that ain't coming out. I ain't ready for that to come out, right? It's staying here with me. But finally, we started talking. I, you know, we got some coffee, whatever we did. And again, like, I'm an introvert. And so, like, long conversation can be very draining to me. And so, that's how introverts, this is maybe just me. But, like, you know, Mike and I were talking. And I just said, you know, man, I just, I got to tell you something. I'm struggling with sexual sin. And that's what happened. I just, I just paused. <laughs> he's like all right <laughs> right and it was so cool because i i just I, I i had to get it out i knew god wanted me to he looked him in the eyes said chris that's great news i'm like what i thought it was bad news why do i feel so horrible <laughs> he's like no it's great news because i struggle with that same thing and God put three men of God in my life to pray for me, to keep me accountable, to encourage me, to lift up my arms when I was weak. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do that same thing for you now. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to pray for you. You're not in this alone. And you know what? I didn't have to sign up for a small group. I found a small group because I made myself available, and God put that man of God in my life for a purpose. 
So we walked that through. And it was just, it was so amazing. Well, and I, I love this verse, and this is what captures what I, what I just experienced. James 5, and this is the heart of our small groups. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. Whole and healed. How many of you know that Jesus didn't die for you to cope with your problems, but he died that you could be free of your pain, your problems, your hang-ups, the things that you've just been walking with, right? And so, well, that's going to really uh, come from us is that we have to make ourselves available to that. So we all need relationships that are going to give us the freedom to be authentic. And that's why I love our small groups. And we say this, we say this in every single small group, hey, what happens here, what, what, what is said here, it stays here. What's not going to stay here is what God's doing in your life, in your heart, you know. That's going to be known. But the things that we work through here is just with us. But I want us to have the filter of not just that I need to be authentic with somebody, but you need to be someone that someone can be authentic with. Is that you need to be a pastor Mike to somebody else. You need to be that person that's like, hey, who's new here? Who's disengaged? How many of you know that on Sunday mornings, man, we see this like as our mission ground? This is why we love our dream team so much because we're mobilized already and we're just here to serve people. And so... We need to be authentic people. We also have to create a place for people to be authentic with us. And I don't know about you, but I am done with the church face. Who knows that church face? Hey, how you doing today? Oh, I'm good. Highly blessed and flavored. It's all good. I just yelled at my wife. I just cry tossed my kid in the face, you know. We're good. Blessed. <laughs> Right? We're laughing because we know what that's like, you know? And I get it because I know, I know there's times when people ask, hey, how you doing? And I'm like, can you handle it? You ready? If you really, I'll, I'll tell you if you want it. And so we need to push past this, this fear that if someone really knows me, then they can't love me. Because you can't be fully loved unless you're fully known. And so it's not, it's not that you're not lovable. It's just that you need to put yourself out there because God doesn't love the future you. He doesn't love the more put together you. He loves you for you. And once we get that settled, then we can move forward. So we got to create a place to be authentic. Second is that we need relationships that are, that are going to ignite our faith to grow. Um, Hebrews 10, 24 tells us this, is that, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and of good works. You know that word motivate in the original language? It means to provoke. It means to stir. There's some agitation right there. We need friends in our lives that can call us on our stuff. You know that thing you keep, like, tripping about? Man, you need to get over that. Like, God has more for you. And not just to, you know, tell us what's wrong, but they need to lift our heads when we just can't get ourselves up. We need friends that are going to give us vision and dreams again. Say, hey, I know you've been in a really tough season, but God has more for you. God has a plan for you. And so we need to give people the green lights to say, hey, when I'm down, pick me up. When my head's not straight, put it back on for me, right? And we're really going to see... 
how truly humble we are by who we allow in our lives. Because if nobody has access to call you back up, then, man, you're not going to have those people in our lives to really take you to the place where God wants you to. So we have to have people in our lives that are going to ignite that faith in our lives. Uh, third is that we need relationships that we can contribute and add value to. And, I, and I'm, I'm passionate about this because one of the things that I know where I grew the most in my life, and I'm still growing by the grace of God, but when I, when I started growing early as a Christian, it wasn't how much I received, it was how much I gave out. I needed to find a place to output what I was inputting. And the person, you know, uh, Pastor, um, uh, uh, not Matt, He's obviously my pastor. Uh, my, Matt, I'm sorry, Michael. Um, when I was talking, Mike, there you go. I'm sorry. I was tripping for a second. Like, who's, who's the guy who just changed my life I just talked about a second ago? There you go. You mean so much to me, Pastor. I, I feel like you've been there forever. But, but Pastor Mike, thank you, Jesus, for reminding me. He didn't just keep me accountable, but he started giving me things to do. But not because he wanted to put me to work, but he wanted my destiny to start getting activated. He's like, hey, you know, like, come serve with these middle school students. I'm like, you want me to serve with middle school students? Are you sure? So I started, I started playing the games. I started leading a small group. I just started just making myself available. And then my faith started to grow. Because I'm like, dude, I got to get in my Bible. These kids want me to pray for them. I don't even pray myself. I got to pray. I got to pray. I got to pray, right? And something ignited in me that I started to care for other people, and it taught me how to receive more from God. And so how many of you know that, man, God wants you to be cared for, but he also wants you to be a caretaker of other people? And that's what we call discipleship. God wants us to disciple one another. And I know that can seem so intimidating, but it doesn't have to be. God wants us to care for one another, and it happens in the realm of small groups. Could you imagine you come to your small group every single week, and you got a place to be authentic. You got to be a. You got, you got a place for people to stir you on. You have a place where you can receive care, and care for somebody else. And that's not Fountain's idea. That's God's idea. This is just how we're doing it. But relationships matter to God. Here, here here's what I want to close with. Is that that person who meant so much to me, Pastor Mike? is that what I started to realize was that it wasn't just about, man, like, what is God's will for me? What do I have to do? When I found a group, when I found people that were like-minded, that were going the same direction, that's what unlocked God's will for my life. Not this isolated, I'm going to do my own thing, but when I found my group, God unlocked my destiny for what he had for me. And I felt that's the same thing for you, is that we need to find our group. And that, that, that's going to be our action step today, is find your group. Maybe you're facing the, a, a pace of life. You're like, I don't know if I can do this. Can I just tell you just humbly? I know there's busy seasons, and, 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 and I respect that. I know what busy is too. But if we don't make time for the most important things, they don't wait for us, they leave us. So there's relationships that God has for you in this house. Probably people you don't even know right now. But if you make yourself available, God's going to bring those right people into your life. Maybe we're facing the pressures of comparison. 
you know, some of the most breakthrough moments I've had is when I've expressed my weakness to somebody else and they said, you know what? Me too. I get it. Let's do this thing together. Okay, all right. Got some confidence. I'm ready. Let's do this. But that's going to be in the realm of relationships. And you know what's crazy? I I love the Word of God. I love, and, I, and I'm so grateful that with our culture now, with technology, we can listen to the best preachers in the world, right? It's exciting. But if we're not careful, we can be so enamored by great preaching that we miss great relationships. And we can, we can do church online, we can do all those things. And I'm not knocking that. We're, I mean, we might even do that one day. But what I'm saying is what you can't get on a website or on media is genuine relationships in person. So I just want to stir you to that. Let go of the insecurities, get into relationships. And last but not least, maybe you're dealing with pains from your past. Like, ah, oh, relationship, like, I've done that before, and I know where it's going to go. God can't redeem what you're rejecting. And so God, God wants to take a relationship and he wants to heal you in it. You need people in your life that are going to say, hey, you fall, I'm going to get right down there with you. Where I go, you're going to go too. And so as a church, let's be a church where we just don't do small groups, but we are small groups. That we're going to be a church that when people look inside, it's like, why do they love each other so well? What? Why, when I see these people, there's just such a genuine love. And it's not just because, it, because they love this, you know, they love the same things or whatnot. There's a genuine care that is happening. And you know where that's coming from? It's where Ecclesiastes, Solomon says this, is that a cord of three is not easily broken. There's me, there's you, but then there's the security of the Holy Spirit. That when we do life together, God comes, he moves and then we're unshakable together. So I just want to encourage you, find a group today. Even if it's not in your area, even if it's not in the same time, God has a group for you. And I know, man, let's do this thing together.